Once the numbers eight or nine months later showed, Houston, we have a problem. We have millions of kids and an enormous uptick in the use of these products in a very short period. Then people were really listening. But yes, I mean, I think the first time we testified in Congress, the impact that that had, the two-day Jewel hearing, I mean, they hauled in then-CEO of Jewel for the second day and read him the Riot Act. That's how success happens. From Entrepreneur Magazine, my name is Robert Tuckman. I self-funded, built up, and eventually sold two businesses to major players in the sports and entertainment industry. And I am fascinated by other entrepreneurial minds and what drives high-achieving people. So on this podcast, we're going to learn what they've learned and what it takes to really succeed. Meredith Berkman and Dorian Furman are two of the founders of Parents Against Vaping E-Cigarettes, PAVE. The organization was founded in 2018 by three concerned moms as a grassroots response to the youth vaping epidemic. Parents Against Vaping E-Cigarettes has become one, if not the most influential advocacy and educational nonprofit run and powered by passionate volunteers across the country. It's the national parent voice fighting the predatory behavior of big tobacco. In fact, they have testified in front of Congress, as have their children. And recently, in the past couple of months, were able to get a temporary ban on Juul. Unfortunately, the ban only lasted for a short period of time, as the FDA paused the ban of the popular Juul, which of course is the major player in the category of e-cigarettes. But led by PAVE, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration now faces mounting pressure to crack down on another type of vaping product. Favored by teens and young adults, it's the flavored products, which Meredith and Dorian admit is really the main problem for teens. More from our guests, but first, a word from our sponsors. Whether you need digital tools so you can bank on the go, or you need a one-on-one with an experienced business banker, with PNC Bank, you got it. PNC's business banking team is built entirely around the way you like to do business. Innovative mobile tools that let you manage your cash flow, monitor your payments, and more around the clock. Give you the flexibility that every business owner needs. And PNC combines those digital tools with a team of business bankers who are ready to sit down and talk about the unique needs of your business and help you develop personalized strategies to move your business forward. Learn how PNC Bank can make a difference for you and your business at pnc.com slash bank your way. PNC Bank, National Association member, FDIC. I started the conversation by asking them how this whole movement came about and what made these moms go out there and start this organization. It totally reminded me of Mothers Against Drunk Driving, which was started, of course, when I was a teenager. In April of 2018, I was minding my own business at the dinner table, sitting next to my husband and my then 16-year-old son, one of my four kids, Caleb, came home and he said, Mom, Dad, I need to talk to you about what he called a, quote, mixed message anti-addiction talk at school that day. And he proceeded to tell us that at a ninth grade assembly where the administrators and teachers left the room, which is common for these kinds of things, so kids will speak freely, this adult, supposedly trusted adult, 
began talking to the kids about Juul. At that time, April 2018, most parents, I would say most adults, certainly I, had no idea what Juul was, what an e-cigarette was, but all of the, the teens in this country pretty much did. And that's because Juul had been marketing and advertising to young people on social media platforms where adults were not. All of this is on is part of congressional testimony and in settlements with state AGs. So I'm not saying something that isn't factually correct. And this supposedly trusted adult began telling the kids that Juul was for adults, not kids. But he followed up every statement by saying, and I'll quote my son quoting him, that Juul was totally safe. It was for adults, not for kids. It was 99% safer than combustible cigarettes. And it would be receiving FDA approval any day. So I called Dorian and I called our third co-founder, Dina Alessi, to ask if they had heard this. They checked with their kids. And within 24 hours, we discovered that, in fact, the school had no idea that this was a jewel rep that had come into the school through an outside anti-addiction group. And over the nights and weeks that followed in the middle of the night, as we were frantically searching on the internet for information about this jewel, we were really horrified to discover not only the duplicity of this company that was targeting teens, our teens and millions of others with their highly addictive flavored tech chic e-cigarette, but also we were really horrified by the prevalence of this. It wasn't for another almost nine months that uh, the then FDA commissioner and the then Health and Human Services secretary referred to this as the youth vaping epidemic. And I'll, I'll let Dorian take it from there. Yeah, Dorian, go ahead. I mean, just to add on to how and what happened and then how you came together. Right. So as Meredith said, um, our boys were in ninth grade. We had really just met, you know, we were all starting a new school. And, you know, when this happened, we we started getting together and talking about how, what we were going to do. We wanted to join the Mothers Against Drunk Driving of Vaping. And we looked for one and nothing existed. We were Googling everything. So we started doing, I guess, what parents do, which is you call your pediatrician, you call just different people you know in your circle, whether it's um, child psychiatrists or elected officials, whatever. We were just calling people and saying, what do you know about Juul? What do you know about this company? And the more we heard, the more concerned we became because apparently, you know, unbeknownst to us, this was really taking over the youth culture. And these um, brands were advertising on social media where parents just don't live. Certainly at the time, Instagram was kind of new. None of us were really on Instagram and that's where they were really pushing their product. And we wanted to educate parents. We wanted to tell parents what we had found, what our doctors were saying about how detrimental this was to the developing adolescent brain, how this could create permanent change, permanent cognitive change, how it could open pathways for further addiction. So we wanted to share that information. So we decided to begin, we were going to start a website. So we got all this information. We got a website designer who was a 19-year-old friend of Meredith's daughter. And it was so grassroots. I mean, we were just, we wanted to inform our friends. So we put this website together. And when we went live, we were really surprised by the response. We started getting emails from parents around the country saying, I was so glad to find you. I don't know what to do. My child is addicted or my child is buying this stuff or the gas station down the street is selling to my child. And I went to talk to them and they threatened me. I mean, it just snowballed from there. So we did begin by wanting to educate parents, but uh, the further we kind of delved into this and the more we understood, we realized um, that it's important to educate parents, but if we wanted to really do something, we had to change 
the laws. You know, we had to let elected officials, we had to let people understand what was happening in homes around the country. So we, I remember really well, we, we, grabbed our sons uh, June of 2018, and we drove them to White Plains. There was a Tobacco 21 hearing, and we signed up to speak, and the kids spoke. They ended up on TV. The law passed, which raised the age to purchase tobacco products to 21 from 18 where it was. And we realized that we really could make an impact. You know, it's incredible. It's funny that you had mentioned growing up in the 80s and and mothers against drunk driving, mad. That was what I was really thinking of when I was beginning to talk to you both and and thinking about the impact they've had to still to this day and, and all the changes that have been brought about. And it really sounds like with what you're doing, it's very similar in this new category. But how did you then get to get, because you both got together, you have a third founder, you put up a website, but I assume you're possibly working, you have jobs. How do you come together? And then did it just, like you said, snowball, and then did this become full-time? So first of all, Dorian and I both at the time were retired from our respective careers. I mean, I I retired from actually being a journalist for many years to raise my four children. And Dorian had been in the world of magazine publishing. Our third co-founder was working full-time and continues to do so. Um, But we're full-time volunteers, as is our fourth founding partner, Mimi Bobuk, who is running sort of the education aspect of this. It really, I like to say, well, I used to say, which Dorian hated, that we were the necessary idiots who founded the group we probably would have preferred to join, but we're really accidental public health advocates and activists. Because I think like so many stories and and, and often stories of moms, of women, we called it Parents Against Vaping because we wanted to be inclusive of all parents and frankly, of all caregivers or guardians. But we started around our kitchen tables, right? Just a bunch of, I won't say angry moms, but concerned moms who knew that we, sometimes I think, why couldn't we have looked the other way? But I think like most people, People, if you disc- if a parent discovers that someone is targeting kids and that they're being motivated by profits, not by the protection of public health, um, you're going to take action for your own kids, but for other parents' kids. And so it really, as you said, it snowballed. And I think, yes, this is our this is our life's work. This is our full-time work. When we look back on it, there were sort of multiple inflection points. As Dorian said, we realized through no fault of our own that we really should start as a as a 501c4 nonprofit so that we could speak to elected officials. We could advocate for ending the sales of these flavored products. We started with just just flavored e-cigs. We started really, frankly, focusing on Juul, but what we've been able to build with the support and the work of volunteers around the country, you know, at the city, state, at the um, at the local level, the state level, and at the national level, parents like us who are extremely concerned about the predatory behavior of companies like Juul, which now it's the next generation of big tobacco. It is the same actors. Juul, shortly into the beginning of our journey, was given an infusion of, I think, $18 billion by Altria, which is Philip Morris. So it's all the same players. And as we have gone along and as more parents across the country have joined us to stand up in hearings and say, I'm not here because someone is paying me to speak for laws that will remove flavored tobacco from the market because 
very importantly, it's the flavors that have hooked the kids on these products. When a parent says, I'm here for children, and you're facing someone that the tobacco industry is paying, either as a lobbyist or as a faux lobbyist, you know, there we've been up in, in Michigan, I can think of there was someone in a white coat who was a doctor, but his hospital's name was covered. And he spoke and he said, I'm here representing, and I think it might have been Altria or Reynolds. RJ Reynolds. Um, yeah. RJ Reynolds. And then when one of us, I think I got up and I said, I just want to repeat this respected doctor you just heard from just told you he's here because he's being paid by RJ Reynolds. I'm here because I'm a mom of four and I want to protect children. It's very, very powerful. So it all just happened. This was not in any way part of the plan. Yeah. Growing quickly. And I, if I, yeah, I just wanted to add one thing, which is again, we wanted to educate. And then we realized that we should advocate. But I still think that we didn't really understand the predatory behavior of the tobacco industry. And I remember a child psychiatrist sent to us a notice that was given, that was sent to all the schools by the California Department of Education. And it said, do not let these people into your schools. This was in 2018, right? This was in 2018. They were sending Jewel representatives, like in our school, although they didn't pay our school, our school was trying to get ahead of the problem, but they were paying underperforming schools in California. And when we saw that, we realized, you know, and and this doctor said, it's like the, what is it? The fox guarding the hen house. And we realized that these people are going after our kids. And then we like to say we came to the table for flavored e-cigarettes but we stayed at the table for all flavor tobacco products because then we realized that the tobacco industries for decades had been targeting African-American populations mm-hmm. with menthol cigarettes and these amazing, cool lifestyle ads that really, and giving out free product. And then you look at Juul and it was the same exact playbook. So right. our learning curve was huge and we learned so much. Right. It, it, you must have learned I mean, it's incredible and diving into this and obviously applaud you for doing all of this for, for everyone. What was it, you know, you must've learned so much just from the political standpoint, how things get done. What were the biggest challenges you had and and had to overcome or still even trying to overcome to achieve more success? Well, you know, a big turning point for us was in July of 2019 when we and our boys testified in Congress for the first time before the um, House Oversight Subcommittee on Economics and Consumer Policy that was convened by the chairman, Raja Krishnamurthy, who is a congressman from, from Illinois, just outside of Chicago. Chicago. And that actually, one thing that I just want to say, because it's so shocking when we look back on it, the day after the Jewel incident in our school, uh, I think we had emailed each other and we decided at that moment that we were not going to share publicly the Jewel in the school incident until, and, and I had written it, until we're standing in front of a congressional committee, because we knew that if we put it out there right away, it would get attention and then it would go away because there's a news cycle that we would know instinctively that that was the right moment. So I think we learned it was very hard to get people to not to listen, because when parents and teenagers come to an elected official and say, we don't want anything from you, but just want you to understand there has been a shift, as Dorian had said earlier, 
earlier in youth culture. There's been a normalization of use of a flavored tobacco product at that time, just Juul, for a generation that otherwise would not have been using tobacco. This is really an epidemic. Once we were able to get people to listen, we learned an awful lot. The challenge was having people understand that it wasn't just us and our kids, that this really was a national problem. Because when we started the metrics, the National Youth Tobacco Survey that the CDC puts out every year did not yet reflect until, as I said, about nine months later, how pervasive a problem it was. But I think what we realized was it's really important to trust your own instincts, that anecdotes do matter And particularly when anecdotes are reflective of facts. And so once the numbers eight or nine months later showed Houston, we have a problem. There are, you know, we have millions of kids and an enormous uptick in the use of these products in a very short period. Then people were really listening. But yes, I mean, I think the first time we testified in Congress, the impact that that had, the two-day Jewel hearing, I mean, they hauled in then CEO of Jewel for the second day and read him the riot act. More from our guests, but first, a word from our sponsors. Are you constantly finding yourself with 50 tabs open a day, hopping between tools just to do your job? Notion is the most customizable tool that helps teams organize information, manage projects, and get more work done together, all in one place. More than 70% of teams that use Notion stop using two or more tools because they didn't need them anymore. With powerful integrations, an API, and seamless navigation, you'll have everything you need in one spot so you can make speed your advantage without the silos and context switching that slow companies down. Plus, Notion has a worldwide network of millions of users, creating templates, tutorials, and new inspiration. The product is getting better all the time, and you'll always have the support you need. Learn more and get started for free at Notion.com slash how success happens. That's Notion.com slash how success happens to help you take the first step toward an organized, happier team today. And our next sponsor. I've started businesses in almost every decade for the past three, and it's just incredible the phenomenal power of today's web-based technology compared to when I started out three decades ago. I almost feel like I'm cheating by optimizing and automating key tasks that take hours and hours of time. So if you're trying to grow a business, you know your time is precious. I know because I'm building another business right now. So imagine if you could streamline those routine operations, tasks that eat up your time like lead management, employee onboarding, or even customer support. That is what's awesome about Zapier. Zapier makes it easy to connect all your apps, automate routine tasks, and streamline your processes. Freeing up your time to prioritize customer and client needs, it's the power of automation made possible for everyone. As I build out my podcast production and technology company, Amaze Media Labs, Zapier has saved me countless hours with customer support and other services, where our business now has been able to really grow, allowing us to focus on key areas. What I love is that Zapier makes it easy to connect 
to over 4,000 of the most popular apps businesses use every day, like Google Sheets, QuickBooks, Facebook, or Google Ads, to automate almost any workflow imaginable. It's incredible how much time this saves and keeping track of everything all at once. The average Zapier user saves over $10,000 in recovered time every year. No wonder over 1.8 million people and businesses use Zapier to streamline their work and find more time for what matters most. See for yourself why teams at Airtable, Dropbox, HubSpot, Zendex, and thousands of other companies use Zapier every day to automate their businesses. Try Zapier for free today at zapier.com slash H-S-H. That's Z-A-P-I-E-R dot com slash H-S-H. And we're back. In building this organization, and it sounds like it's been an incredible amount of time, hours, were there, have there been, or was there any time where you were just like, this is too much? For yeah, about five us. minutes ago, and then maybe <laughs> that's why you couldn't reach me. I was hiding my phone. I'm done. Well, I, I would imagine that, but tell me what was the biggest success you've had where you really felt like this was the first time in, in, in the first time this happened where you know what we've just achieved success? Well, I think that there were lots of moments like that, and it's building on successful moments to achieve greater success. You know, I, I referenced when we dragged our kids to White Plains and then, Schlep, yeah. <laughs> yeah, schlepped our kids to White Plains and then the, the T21 law passed, you know, that was our first little success. Really, we, we just started talking to people and I think you just have to talk to everyone and you have to understand, you have to, you have to listen, you have to take in information. We took in so much information. You know, we talked about the learning curve was, was huge. I think one, well, there were a couple of things, you know, we reached out to um, the FDA to share the information that we've been hearing. And we were invited to a private listening session. And this was the first one. uh, Yeah. The first one, but this was before the congressional testimony. This was way in the beginning. And again, we brought our kids to Washington. They presented a PowerPoint, which was called, remind me, Meredith, it was called um, Front Lines, Living on the Front Lines in the Age of Jewel or something like that. And, you know, it was really their presentation. And we, we went with them and we enter into this room in the FDA, which is like Fort Knox. I mean, it's, you know, it's so secure. And they, they bring us into this labyrinth catacomb of, of offices. And we end up in this office and there are about 10 people sitting there in the office and there are about 20 people on the phone. And it was overwhelming for, this was really our first big, you know, visit, our first big meeting in Washington. And the fact that there were so many people from FDA who wanted to hear what these kids were saying, that was so impactful and so powerful for us, but also for them, because at the time they were 14, 15, 16 years old, and they realized that they have a voice in this world, that they have a voice in our government. And they really told the story of what was happening in schools around the country, what their friends were experiencing, what they were experiencing. And I remember, you know, the emotion that a lot of the FDA officials in the office had was, I mean, it was moving. It was really, it was really wonderful. So I think all of these successes kind of build on each other. Of course, then Meredith referenced the congressional testimony. That was huge. You know, again, for our kids, I think Meredith's son must've been 17 at the time. Mine was probably 15. 
and to be able to testify in Congress. So, you know, I was invited to the White House later that fall. We were invited to this vaping summit, which was the first time maybe ever that members that the heads of the tobacco companies were seated in between the public health officials and that overseen by then President Trump with Senator Mitt Romney, who was very concerned about this topic because there's such wide use of, of teens in Utah and Kellyanne Conway. And I remember I deliberately wore like this Pepto-Bismol pink dress that screamed mom, mom. And we had with you know our skeletal staff and volunteers had stayed up all night the night before putting together a huge binder of the emails that we get from every single day from parents who were so desperate. And I remember, you know, the president walked, the then president walked in and he looked at the crowd and people were very uncomfortable. You know, they're sitting, I'm sitting across from the guy from Altria and next to the guy from Enjoy. And it was really crazy. And he's like, this is going to be a tougher crowd than the Israelis and the Palestinians. Ha ha. Bring in the fake news. So, you know, that that was to be at the table, not with the tobacco industry, but with these public health leaders who have become our partners. That felt very important. And we were very proud to be there. And there was a lot of screaming in the room. And believe me, I we were using our voices that had to be heard of the predatory behavior towards these kids. You know, it's been several years now. You've done wonderful things. Can you talk to us? There's there's obviously been recent news in terms of Jewel and, and in terms of vaping, and you have played a big hand in a lot of this. Can you tell us where we are right now and where we need to go? I don't think anyone really knows where we are right now. And I think that's the problem. The FDA, first of all, all of the um, vaping companies were supposed to submit PMTAs, pre-market tobacco applications, to be able to remain on the market. And FDA was supposed to have reviewed all of these applications and decided on them 10 months ago. And they haven't done that. So it's being dragged out. They've, They've refused. They've denied many, many, many companies but the big ones are still pending. And so no one really knows where we are right now. When they recently denied Jules marketing orders, they, they issued an MDO, which is marketing denial order for Jewel products. So and for about 15 minutes, we felt- I was going to say, for, for like half a day, it was a wonderful, it was a wonderful moment because they, and they, they, they denied Jewel on the basis, on a scientific basis, on the fact that their pods were leaching, on the fact that the toxicology showed that they were not safe, on the fact that there was contradictory information in their application. So they were following the science in that case, in that situation. But, you know, again, it lasted 15 minutes and Jewel sued. And then FDA withdraw. Right. And then FDA, so they were, right, they were, they were issued a stay by the judge. And then FDA said, well, you know what, we'll look at it again. And FDA withdrew their denial. They didn't withdraw it. They, they, um, they gave them an administrative stay. Right. So, you know, it, it's it's all still it's all still pending. Um, and, and I just want to say also that there are thousands of flavored disposable products that remain out there. Just a few months ago, Congress passed a law giving FDA authority over so-called synthetic products, products that were either claiming that they were synthetic, which at that time meant 
FDA had, it was a loophole. FDA would not have authority. Now under the law, they do. Today, actually, FDA gave them, I think it was May, Dorian, right? That the products like Puff Bar, which is the largest seller now to kids, right? That's, and all of these products that were, you know, driving a truck as the industry does through the loophole, they had to then apply for regulation. Because remember, for years, since 2016, based on the, the law, these flavored e-cigs, these e-cigs, all of them have been on the market without full regulation, which is shocking. Right. Um, and when Meredith says synthetic, she means synthetic nicotine, which means that it's not derived from tobacco leaves, that it's created in a lab. And a lot of the companies switched to this so-called synthetic nicotine because they wanted to escape FDA oversight. They wanted to be able to put these markets on, uh, sorry, put these products on the market with no regulation whatsoever. So they were, FDA was grant, FDA was grant granted oversight over these products by Congress a few months ago. Again, no one really knows if they were really switching to synthetic nicotine, if they were just saying they were. And FDA has not taken any enforcement right. action. There has been a lack of transparency. You know, you ask about minutes of feeling success or moments. Just last night, we noted on Twitter that the American Vaping Association is demanding that the Inspector General of Health and Human Services look into what they're calling undue influence, undue political influence over Congress. And they're demanding, among others, our phone logs and our emails to FDA. And I thought it was like that scene in The Idiot where Steve Martin finds his name in the phone book. I was like, wow, (laughs) the American Vapor Association wants our phone logs. Woohoo, we're having an impact. I mean, I don't want to make a joke of it, but the undue influence is that we're forcing people to understand that the tobacco industry never went away, even when we thought this problem was solved by the heavy lifting over decades of public health people and prevention specialists and the federal government's intervention. We are now the national parent voice fighting the predatory behavior of the tobacco industry. And that's a long-term goal. And let me ask you before I let you both go in You've done incredible things and provided, I mean, just the learning experience for your children and and for what you've done for all parents. And now as your kids are even aged out, still fighting this battle, it's really incredible and heartfelt. And I have much gratitude. I want to ask you just lastly, in terms of, of each of you from doing this, going out there, building this, you know, there's a lot of people listening to this podcast who want to start organizations, businesses. Is there any advice you would give to them if they really have a strong feeling about something? Well, I think my first piece of advice would be to find someone that you can work with, that you can... I mean, Meredith and I are... We're on the phone 10 times a day. We are... You have to be able to... You need a partner, I think, because very often it's hard to do this alone. And there's so much work that needs to be done. You need to share the load with people, whether you know, you're know you hiring people, whatever. As far as we're concerned, I think our partnership is our greatest asset mm-hmm. and our greatest gift because we both have very different skills, but they're incredibly complementary and we get along so well and we work so well together. And I would say the same about our other partners who we work with. We've built an amazing team. So that's really important. But I think as the founders, I think that we just have an amazing partnership. We always talk about what's next. Once we kill the tobacco industry, we have to go after something else. 
So what are we going to do next? Well, don't come after the podcast industry. No. Yes. That would be my first. My first I'm just kidding. That that. But and Meredith, tell me what's your thoughts. And Dorian, I agree. Partnership. I could never. We really could not have done this without each other and and trust and all of that and complementary styles. I also would say. I mean, the obvious one is like, trust your instinct. If you're really passionate about something, you have to go for it and you can't look back. The other thing I would say is if you're coming into an industry, a field, a space, whether it's in public health or nonprofit or for-profit, you should never be afraid to go into silos. We were constantly going into silos, but we didn't know what silos were. We didn't know what translational science was. So we just instinctively wanted to learn. And so we would go to everyone and say, hey, we have questions or what are you working on? So don't be afraid. Don't hold back. Don't never hold back. You don't be afraid to show what you don't know. And at the same time, always be grateful and humble because there will always be people who have been doing what you're doing, perhaps in a different way, but for so long, and you want to both give them their props, as it were, let them know how grateful you are and respectful, but at the same time, you want to be flexible and nimble so that you can take in information and take relationships and build new relationships, put people together, create partnerships, and always be a grateful, humble, and independent partner. I think our independence, our ability to be sort of organically nimble and shapeshift, which is what the industry does, but we're doing it for good. That also, I would say, don't be afraid to break the mold or create your own mold while being appreciative of those who have created molds before you. Well, I appreciate that. You both are incredibly inspiring. We talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, which you are, and have built such an incredible organization, so meaningful, mission-based. There's nothing better than that. Uh, as I said, especially having children. And I can't tell you how grateful again I am and so many people are. And thanks for coming on the uh, show. Thank you for, that's so kind. Could you call our husbands and tell them that the fact that we're other things in our lives, maybe we're not yeah, at the top. That, uh, unfortunately, uh, I don't know if I'm going to get anywhere with that one. Um, I, I, you know. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, you got it. And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to How Success Happens wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Wednesday morning, and you don't want to miss it. And if you like to share, please feel free to pass along the show to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost, and I could always use the subscribers. And do you have ideas for guests? I always love to hear about great entrepreneurs. If you know anyone, shoot me an email at hsh at entrepreneur.com or on Twitter at Robert Tuckman, that's R-O-B-E-R-T-T-U-C-H-M-A-N, or even send me a message on LinkedIn. How Success Happens is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for insight on building your business, or even better yet, subscribe to our magazine. No joke, I found my first job after reading about a company in Entrepreneur Magazine back in the 1990s. It's always been my absolute favorite magazine for entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening and spending some time with me today. Until next time, my name is Robert Tuckman, just a fellow entrepreneur and your host. See you soon.